0: programming throwdown episode 103 working from home with adam bell take it away jason
1: hey everybody so um this is a pretty interesting episode we're uh we're actually uh live on twitch and so this is something we tried, Patrick. What maybe five years ago or something? A really long time ago. Um, and uh, you know, I don't know why did we stop recording to Twitch. I think I think part of it was we got a lot more a lot more engagement on Discord, and uh, the Twitch just couldn't seem to kick off. Uh, but since then, especially recently, a lot of folks have been saying. Oh, you know, we kind of want to see the podcast on either Twitch or YouTube or one of these platforms. And so we're going to give it a second go. We'll record some episodes on Twitch and we'll see uh, see how it goes. It really depends on you, our loyal fans, to let us know uh, if this uh, if this medium, you know, gives some gives some extra value.
0: Yeah, I think Twitch has grown a lot, and uh, also especially these days, which I'm sure we're going to talk about in a few minutes. I think people's <laughs> appetite for consuming online content has only been going up.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, a lot of people ask us. Uh, why we use Skype and not Zoom? And I think the answer, correct me if I'm wrong, Patrick, is just that we never tried Zoom. <laughs> it could uh, be way I mean, better. we've been doing
0: this podcast longer than Zoom's been around.
1: Oh, that's true too. Yeah, that is very true. But you get some inside baseball, you know, we, we do a Skype call, we record it through Skype, and also Patrick does some recording and then um and then we kind of mix it all together afterwards. Uh, but anyway, so today we have Adam and we're going to all chat about working from home, which is something you know we've all been doing a lot of lately. Um, and it's something that Adam personally has been doing for what, nine years, um, full time, which is, which is way longer than either of us. And so, um, I'm sure you're gonna have a ton of insights. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe Adam, you could start, kick it off by just talking about like what made you work from home? Like, was it your decision or was it something that was circumstantial and what kind of started that?
2: Yeah. Um, great question. Um, yeah. So in, in 2011, like I, I live in, in Peterborough, Ontario, Canada, it's got like 85,000 people. It's not like it's not the tech hub that you that you hear about. Right. So uh, I had a I had a boss who had left um, and and went to work somewhere else, uh, actually in, in Waterloo uh, area in Ontario. And he wanted me to come work for him. And he said, like, hey, maybe, you know, you could do it remote because I didn't want to move there. Um, and so, you know, I took a day off work. I drove down there. Um, I did all these interviews and he said at the beginning kind of like, Oh, so they're going to want you to say you're moving here, but like, it's all cool. Um, which was a little weird. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) So I went through like all the interviews and then I met with HR last and she was like, okay, so when are you thinking of moving to Waterloo? And I was like, well, you know, I'm not like, I think if you want to say that I'm moving here, then that's fine. But you know, I'm not. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. This job is for here. (laughs) So it became a whole thing. I drove home thinking I didn't get the job, um, which seemed like a great job. Um, And then like my former manager phoned me up and said, I heard there was some sort of misunderstanding. We're happy to have you work remote. Let's get you an offer. Got me an offer. um, And he said, now the offer says that you're going to be working in Waterloo, but just ignore that. (laughs) Um, so I took a huge gamble and I took that job and and I never went to the office. Well, actually, I went a couple times, but I started working from my s- small apartment that I lived in with my with my now wife. And I think like within a week, I was like, I don't think I want to go back to working in an office. Like, I think that maybe, you know, the the times we're in right now are a little bit strange. It's not the ideal working from home times. But back then when I tried it, I was like, this is a really good fit for my you know, for who I am, for my personality, for the way I like to work. And so it's years later, I've been at three or four different companies, all all remote. So like dive into
1: that a bit, like what what makes your personality or anyone's personality good for working from home and, and what would make it bad?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so like, I think the thing that is the worst for, for working remotely isn't really a personality thing, but an experience thing. Um, I work on a team that's distributed right now. I think it's really hard if you don't have experience like working in an office place, like um, maybe there's a way to do that. But I think that's the hardest thing, right? If you just finished school or something, um, you just finished university or grad school, and you're like, I'm starting a new job. And it's just you at home on your couch. Like, I don't think I don't know how you're going to learn, like what what a day's work looks like, like what the expectations are, like when you should ask for help. Um, So that's like the The biggest area that i don't think we've figured out how to work from home the other thing i would say is just like um you know like um some people like to be really social um i'm probably maybe a bit less social than than some like i think i can i think i can get by you know with with a with a lower level of like water cooler chat um i mean some people i mean i don't think some people might not realize that that's who they are until you know like our present situation where they're like you know. I'm really struggling without without the needed social contact. Um also like I had a significant other that I lived with at home. I think if if you lived by yourself and work was your main like social outlet, um, I think that could be a struggle, right? Yep,
1: yep. Yeah, it totally makes sense. I mean it totally resonates with me. I think uh um I think along the same lines, I wonder, you know, like people who are starting now, uh you have to work from home. So so you graduated from college back in uh uh uh, probably i guess now maybe you graduated from college two weeks ago or something and you got your first job and uh and you're working remote right and i think it's a huge huge challenge um and and so one, i i another thing you said that resonated with me is this idea that, like we haven't really got it right i totally agree with that um you know i was thinking about um how you know there's when you're sitting around the same desks like in some bullpen environment you can just run over and talk to somebody or you can ask a question right um you know, I don't think you can completely remove your privacy when you're at home. You can't just have a camera staring at you 24-7. It's just it's super awkward, right? But maybe, you know, one thing that might be better than what we have now is 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 maybe like a set of hours, like office hours type thing. Yeah. We say, look, from one to two, my camera is always on and uh, so is yours. And so there's this grid maybe of all of our faces for that hour and then it turns off, something like that. Um yeah, but there's that's probably one of probably a thousand ideas we could come up with brainstorming here
2: today on how to make it better. I mean, it's, I think there's huge amounts of progress that needs to be made. Yeah, I think you could also just like metaphorically, like try to, try to treat it like that person is there, right? Like if you guys are on the same time zone and you guys used to work next to each other um, and you're on Slack or whatever, you know, like a place where I see like working from home go badly is like people who might hash something out for 20 minutes in the office will spend three hours like talking about it on Slack. Um, like yep, just, yep. just like jump on a call. Like I know it seems like they're not there, but just pretend they are and like, and talk it out. Um,
1: yeah, what about like, I feel like uh, I get notification overload now that I'm working from home. And I mean, similar to what you were just saying, where where instead of just tapping someone on the shoulder, you send them a message and then this is N squared problem, right? Um, <laughs>
2: Yeah, How do you deal with, with, with notification overload? Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard. I think the same kind of, uh, like, office hours kind of concept could work. I know, yeah. um, like, I talked to somebody at my work who kind of their, like, role is, like, half, you know, like, like doing a lot of work and half just, like, kind of meeting with people, um, you know, kind of half manager, half individual contributor. And they said, like, they actually split their day literally in half and say, like, this time, you know, there's no notifications, there's no whatever, here's my you know, my deep thinking time. And then here's where I'm, whatever, telling this person to talk to this person or, or chatting. Um, yeah. Another thing is like, so my, um, yeah, like, so my wife works. Um, Right now, she, you know, she's on a bit of a different schedule because of the times we're in. But like, yeah, you know, for the for the nine years that I've been at home, like she has like a fairly standard nine to five job. So she like, you know, we get up at the same time when she leaves, that's kind of like, I'm in my work zone, right. And when she comes home, it's kind of the end of my work day. Um, so I mean, I didn't come up with this strategy. That's just kind of how my life works. But I think yeah. that it's it's really important if you're working from home to have some sort of bookends, because like otherwise, like like people think that the danger is like people at home aren't working. Um, but I think the real danger is just that like work becomes pervasive in your entire life, and you can't you can't turn yeah, it off. Yeah,
1: right. Yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, that, and also like uh, there's a there's people don't know how much you're working. So you know, like we're in a research team, and so there's a lot of folks doing research um on things that ultimately don't pan out. And so when you're sitting right next to somebody, you see them, you know, sweating, and then they're writing on the expo marker board, and they erase it with their hand, and then they rub the sweat off their head, and now they have like a <laughs> rainbow on their forehead, and they're just like they're just crazy, like like stressed out. And, and you say, okay, well, you know, at least you know, I know for a fact that this person is putting in a lot of effort. Um, and then maybe nothing comes of that, which is really a shame. But like at least you kind of have an idea, versus now. Uh, and it works the other way too. Sometimes you get this eureka moment, and uh, and you things that you didn't even have to put a lot of effort into. And so that becomes harder to sort of internalize when uh, you're not around the person.
2: Yeah, yeah, totally. And I don't know, like, y- you have to have a certain amount of buy-in from, I guess, the, the organization and the people you work with, I, I guess, right? I don't work in a, in a research type uh, environment, but I assume that if you do and if you're going to be not in an office, then there needs to be some sort of understanding, you know, that this is how it is, right? Um, otherwise, yeah. like, yeah, if you have to dedicate your hard thinking time to making sure you're, you know, demonstrating some sort of output so that you can be measured, um, I don't think that's going to help anything.
1: Yeah, totally. So Patrick, what's your experience been like? So Patrick works at a at a place where almost nobody ever worked from home. So like at my job, we worked from home on Wednesdays, uh, you know, way before a virus hit. Um and so you know, but but Patrick like like working from home is kind of anathema to, to your to your company. And so like what has it been like? It must be a huge change.
0: Yeah, I mean I think this is a interesting question for for teams that are like mine, and I think you guys have been sort of alluding to a lot of the same things we're all going through. But uh, companies that didn't have extensive work from home experience before, it's a lot harder of a transition. Um, I actually think we've adapted pretty quickly. But most of the team has been stable, been working together for a while. So they already kind of know what everyone's doing without having to talk about it as much. Um, Onboarding new people has been slightly more challenging adjusting to them. But we've done the The things like we're talking about, like just have an hour every day or a little longer and just be on a chat and shoot the breeze or talk about specifics. And people can sign off if they want. But new people tend to not have as much work to do. So they have a little more time to be able to hang out. And it's important, I think, to be able to get them that time, even if it doesn't seem directly beneficial to having them churn out lines of code. Um, I think it's important to have people get adjusted pretty quickly. And so that's how we've been tackling. It. It's actually been working out, I think, better than if you had asked me at the start, how is this going to go? I would have predicted it going worse. And I think that's a realization a lot of people are coming to is that is not as bad as they thought it would be for the people who said maybe they didn't want to work from home or it wasn't important to them before. They're realizing, oh, actually, there's kind of a lot of advantages to this. But then, yeah, a lot of people are saying, I don't really have a good home setup for this. Like, I don't have a home office. I have too many other people in this space. And so, for those people, of course, like, it, it's more of a struggle. And so, looking forward, I think the interesting thing is how people may choose to adjust if they believe there's a higher probability of this happening. So, people may select where they live or not live, or what kind of apartment they get or don't get, or house they buy or don't buy. Um, thinking that work from home may happen more often, or maybe we may be forced into work from home, uh, which, what do you call it? I guess that's a recency bias. Like it's never happened before, but it uh, happened now. So it's more likely to happen in the future, but I don't actually have yeah, that. Right. But I think a lot of people will uh, treat it that way.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. I think, uh, um, yeah, one thing is, is this, this idea of, of, um, working anywhere. I think that that, is, is is going to be like huge disruption to the entire industry, uh, and I don't mean disruption in a bad way, like disrupting your service or something. But I think it's going to radically change the entire industry. Um, ultimately, I think for the better. Um, but I think you know, if you think about the recruiting funnel, I mean, it's going to have to completely change, right? I mean, I mean, it used to be that you had this locality bias, so you know, we want people who work in this city, and so the amount of people who will relocate to that city is small. And so you, you, your, your process, your funnel doesn't ever get too big that you can't do anything, you know, to manage it. Um, and then, and furthermore, like, you could be really aggressive uh, in how you do your funnel because you can only grow so big as a company so quickly, right? Um, but now, you know, if we really go to this um, totally distributed model, then we have to figure out ways to, Field resumes for from people all over the world for jobs all over the world, um, and and how to pay people in a in a competitive way around the world. I mean, all of that stuff is going to have to get figured out in the next six months.
2: I think there's like like you know the quote about the future is here. It's just unevenly distributed. It's like there's, been, <laughs> yeah. there's like places have been doing this, right? Um, they've just it's not been the norm, right? Like I think if you look at a lot of the places that that have been hiring and and been distributed like sometimes it's because they have like a, a certain particular niche where it's like you know if you need you know very specific uh type of people like maybe they're not all in one area right so you're like hey i need the best people in the world and there's like two of them in in london england and one is in idaho and and then so you just kind of adapt to that um another interesting thing um um that patrick said is like about like the type of environments you want to have, like for your work life, right? I think like when I started working from home, um, like I had an apartment, it was a two bedroom apartment. I took like, I mean, people didn't have this opportunity this time. Like I took off some time between work, I got all the crap out of my second bedroom. You know, like I set up a specific office and I was like, this desk is my, is my work desk. Um, and I, I think that in a world where more people are working like this, apartments probably in urban areas have some disadvantages compared to, to getting a large house where you could have some extra space, um, at least in terms of yeah. work. like There's certain benefits in other areas, but I think it does change some of the, the preferences people would have. So how do you... On s- that, oh, go this. ahead, Patrick. Yeah, I have this... Uh- I don't know, you call it like a pet theory
0: about the like thing, but I'll I'll tell it here in front of a giant crowd of people. It'd be <laughs> great. Um, which is I was saying that uh, the way I was thinking about it, which resonated with me, well, I guess I'm biased, is uh, when people live in like very urban environments, they have smaller houses, but they're willing to pay more because the entertainment living portions are conducted outside of their house. Like they don't need a big kitchen because they eat out at nice restaurants. So if you live in new york city manhattan right like that's uber expensive small apartment but there's so much to do just within walking distance you have a a house that's a hybrid between inside your apartment and like the local whatever shop that you like to eat at down the street And the bodega on the corner is your pantry and you know you have all of these things very near to you You go to all sorts of some of the world's best entertainment rather than just sitting at home and and watching tv on a relatively small tv because you have no space and so you're willing to pay more because you're not outsourcing is the right word, but you're utilizing space outside of your apartment as your living space, the park, the, you know, entertainment venues, yep. versus if you live in the suburbs, you need a bigger house because that entertainment stuff moves inside of your domicile. So you need to entertain you and your family. And if you have children or pets, you need to do that sort of within your house because you don't want to get in your car and drive everywhere all the time. And so when you see these lockdowns that are happening where the entertainment spaces outside of your house are being denied access to you, it's like someone coming in and like, you know, biohazard taping off part of your house and telling you you're no longer allowed to use this. And then at some point you're gonna go like, well, this is a scam, this is a like I don't wanna pay these prices when I can't access what I was considering part of my living and the reason why I was paying for this. Like, why am I still here? Why am I paying this? And if you drop prices low enough, I guess, the market demand will say like people will do some people will still choose that. But a bunch of other people are going to go either their price needs to get lower or I'm going to leave because I'm being denied access to part of like what I was considering my living space. And especially for things like work from home, that gets even harder because you lived in an area where maybe you still had to commute or whatever, but you had the place where you worked was your office. And now you can't go to that office and you have no alternative because you don't have spare space in your place of residence. And for those people, I think they develop a very acute like reaction to this where it's like they need an immediate fix because like working from sitting on the edge of your bed is only gonna happen
2: for a few hours before you realize it's not sustainable. Yeah, there must be like a middle ground, right? Where like everybody moves to like the medium size, like everybody lives in Boulder or or St. Louis and has a co-working place, right? Like um, some middle ground where you're like, I have more space. And I can share some urban amenities, um, and I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I, a number of people at um, where I work have brought up this idea that um, you know they want to spend six months of the year in you know Nebraska and then the other six months you know in Manhattan, uh, you, know, you know where the job is. Like, and uh, you know, that raises a bunch of interesting questions. Like, like so, right now you could say, well, okay, we'll pay you let's say market rate for. Nebraska, you know, whatever a software engineer makes in Nebraska when you're in Nebraska. But then if you think about it from a, this gets back to something we talked about a while ago about like, what is something actually worth and how you figure that out? Also, you know, what this engineer is actually worth to the company actually goes up because because they're using less physical space and getting the same amount of work done, but you're going to end up paying them less if you take the market price attitude, right? And so there's ends up being this sort of disconnect between um, between between these these two ways of measuring what something is worth. Right. Um, And and uh, uh, yeah, I think this this whole there's also I guess it it all kind of ties together. Like uh, if on the recruiting side, we're now able to find a bunch of super talented folks in Nebraska, then then uh, that really puts a lot of downward pressure on people who are, you know, in the cities and, as Patrick said, like, need a lot of these extra amenities to have the same quality of life, right? Versus, like, in Nebraska, those are capital expenses, I guess. Um, and, yeah, I think that, that whole thing is is interesting. I think uh, I did see a lot of um, people, getting back to, like, the furniture and, and sort of being comfortable working from home, I did see a lot of people buying... I actually also bought one like a, like these mechanical desks that go up and down for your house. And uh, that was something I used a lot of at work. And I, I thought that it would be um, an insane amount of money. But it's actually, they've come down in price. You can get one at, you know, pretty reasonable amount. And uh, so far, I think that's been the biggest improvement um,
2: in working from home for me has been getting a desk where I could stand up. Yeah, I also have a standing desk. Uh yeah, I bought it years ago, and I it's I haven't regretted it. Although I spend lots of time sitting at it. Uh, yeah, I been, think for
1: podcasts, it's probably yeah. good to to be sitting.
2: I think the market the market dynamics thing um, is interesting. Like, I think I saw something online that said that it like the the like the market for software developers is going to get even more divided. Right? Um, I mean, this was a theory because like uh, if I live in Nebraska um and you're trying to pay me local nebraska wages but i actually have a counter offer from some other like bay area company you're just going to pay me the the bay area rate right but if i if i don't then i'll get the nebraska wage and as this slowly fans out i think it will just mean that developers that are in demand get like a very high bracket and and developers that aren't are in a very low like it should it should stretch things out um
1: yep Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I think that especially with what you said earlier, if you have a niche skill um, and if if the only way you could, let's say, build that craft is to work at one of these three companies, then then uh, then that's your pool of talent. And so, you know, expanding to the whole world doesn't really matter because the whole world hasn't been exposed to those three companies that have this embedded talent or whatever it is. Right. And so, yeah, I think those people could probably do well. Um, I think the people who um, yeah, are more generalist, I think that might be a place where there'll be some kind of compression. Um, there's there's actually a question from the audience, which I thought was really, really useful. We'll jump to some of the audience questions. So Cheesy Taco Deluxe asks, um, what is it like uh, onboarding new team members and going through the interview process, uh, you know, now that we're all remote? Um, who wants to take a crack at that first?
2: Um, I can. So... Um- yeah, we have an interview process. It, I mean, we use Zoom rather than Skype that we're in right now, but it tends to involve <laughs> sure. um, it tends to involve just some some Zoom calls, and um, so we'll do like a, I don't know, like CoderPad or something like that, where we'll we'll have somebody uh, work through a problem, um, kind of talking uh, talking it out the same as you as you might for a whiteboard, um, and we have like just a couple uh, phases of that. Um, yeah, and then you know somebody gets mailed out a uh, laptop and you know they start my when I started at my at my current job on my first day of work you know I was here you know it, it's kind of a weird experience to start a job and not be there right you're like okay I guess I work someplace new Um but my laptop didn't arrive um, and so I, I wasn't really sure what to do and I contacted the IT and they're like they, they had sent it like to like the general vicinity of where I live but not my exact house which isn't oh <laughs> that's pretty bizarre yeah, like that. I don't know. It's like they transpose some numbers in the street or something. Oh, interesting. I, uh, I got, I got the laptop eventually, but the first day I was like, I'm here, and they're like, all right, well, you can't really do anything. So, but I mean, I think. <laughs> Wait, I think why, we just why not? Have to, you
1: didn't have any access or something, or? Yeah, oh,
2: because I, like. Oh, I see. Yeah, I needed the, you know, I needed the work computer. Um, at that time, everything was like behind a VPN. Uh, now we use uh, like, uh, Octa, which is, which is pretty nice. Oh um, yeah, right. But yeah, I mean, I think we just have to adapt, right? I think that like, I mean, obviously right now it's it's not the case, but, you know, in, in a post-COVID world that people are still working remotely, I think like getting together is still important. Like, you know, we, you know, I worked on teams where we're kind of all over the place, but like once a quarter we get together, you know, ostensibly for planning, but really like just to hang out and like know each other as, as people who are three-dimensional. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I think um, it's very similar. We have, you know, a set of. Um, I think I think we use we actually use this product called BlueJeans, which is kind of like a Zoom type thing for enterprise. Um, but basically, it's a set of these, uh, you know, video video chats, and then um, uh, we also use CoderPad, and then oh, here's a kind of a interesting backstory behind CoderPad is um, CoderPad was actually started by somebody who worked at uh, our company. And um, they ended up because we were like the first customer. They ended up we uh, I worked for this gigantic company, and we spent something like ten thousand dollars for a lifetime like company wide license for CoderPad. And we've probably put like you know two hundred thousand hours into it or something. Yeah, I'm sure they're not they're not making any money off us. But um uh, but yeah, we all use CoderPad pretty heavily. Mail out the offer, mail out the laptop, and then we we built like um. A set of onboarding docs that have like, here's the social groups you should join. Here's some videos from, you know, some some of the leaders just talking about the company and talking about the team and everything. And uh, that seemed to work pretty well. And similar to what you were saying, we also have, um, well, actually, we don't have yet an in-person thing because, you know, we, we all started working from home with COVID. So we haven't had the chance to do that yet. But, but we do have Um, every Tuesday we have a social hour and, uh, you know, it's not mandatory. It's kind of this weird thing, right? Where we really want everyone to be there. But if we, as soon as we enforce it, it's not a, you know, social thing anymore. (laughs) It becomes this, you know, it becomes work again. Um, so you know people come and go, we have a decent, you know, percentage of people there and we just chat or we'll play a game. Uh, we actually played, uh, this game called Zombs Royale, um, yesterday. Which was this web game where you um um yeah it's similar to like PUBG or Fortnite or one of these games um just something where you can kind of bond as a team it's really good to kind of force that time because it would be emergent otherwise you know like we'll just say hey do you want to just go for a walk um but now you know that you can't do that so you really have to kind of force it like you have to say like okay two to three p.m. guys let's go do something cool. And uh, it seems weird. I mean, as a person who sort of set up the meeting, it felt weird to, to, to make a meeting to play video games. You know, it feels like, well, why are they paying us for this? But I think that, you know, you need it to to sort of have a healthy team, have a healthy environment.
0: I think would be the same as making things explicit, which were uh, just implicit or emergent before. Like you were saying, you would naturally hang out with people and shoot the breeze, which goes down kind of a lot. So we've done something similar, like uh, we've played board games online a few times, just like one hour on Friday, the same thing, you know, kind of middle end of the day, just like, hey, everyone get on and do this. And it also does feel weird, but I'm the same thing. I don't feel bad about it because I feel that it's important for the team to be oriented towards each other in sort of the uh, way that would happen much more fluidly. What would you in 3D space? Um, maybe if we all had VR goggles, it would be a different story. But, you know, like <laughs> thinking about people as more than just their comments on a code review or their status update is is really important um, to being able to put yourself in their shoes and have that kind of emotional intelligence that sometimes people write about. I think um, you you need to kind of know another person and you, you don't get that if you strictly just interact, or at least in my opinion, I find it difficult uh, to just know that from um, the strict business interaction that tends to be the default engagement model uh, with this remote stuff.
2: Yeah, that is true. Yeah, you you made me think of a, a couple other things. So we have like like uh, like you were saying we have you know join this channel, join this channel. Um, we also have like during the first week, um, like we'll fill up kind of like half of your first couple of days with just like meetings that are just like you should just say hi to this person um, and say hi to this person. Um, and then we also have a buddy program that somebody in my work set up, which is like they they take somebody, anybody who's new gets just like paired with somebody who volunteers, who's like from a different part of the company, um, and they just they just meet like casually on an ongoing basis. because sometimes like I don't a problem that's not been solved by all this stuff is like like silos. Like if you develop social structures with your with your team, like you do end up kind of not like you're not going to run into people in the kitchen head or something who are on a on a different yep. team. Um, so that's our attempt at that. But I, I think that's a hard problem. Yeah, totally. I've seen, you know, things like uh, so you
1: know we were in the office, we had something called chow roulette, where it would randomly pick two people who had signed up to this chow roulette and have, give make them have a one on one lunch together. Um, and so there were different groups there was a chow roulette for engineers there's one for you know salespeople um, then there was a general one if you just wanted to get matched up with anybody and um, yeah, something like that I think could could easily translate to online if it could, could probably be better online is probably more awkward in person um, you know because one person has to walk really far to get to the other person where they're eating right um, um, yeah and the thing you mentioned there was I, I went to a uh, I had a virtual conference where um, They had this interesting button. You'd click this button and it it was as if you ran into somebody in the hallway, like in between two conference rooms. So like it's like while like when one talk ended, there's about a 15 minute break. And during that break, you could click the button. And then if someone else clicked the button, you would run into each other and it would just basically be like a one on one chat. And then after a minute or so, you would hang up and you could try it again. Um, I, I didn't try it, but uh, you know, things like this, I think, are starting to get at that that kind of just you know emergent conversation that happens in real
2: life. It seems hard because it, it seems like forced, um, where like you know a lot of this stuff in person happens very naturally. Um, but yep. there is a a Slack bot. I don't know if you guys use Slack, but called like Coffee. I think it's called like Coffee Time, and it's like people join this channel and then randomly, I think once a week. It like the bot will like ping you and somebody else and say like you guys should meet um and have coffee. Oh, it's, cool! It's sort of uh, it's like the minimum viable product version of uh, your your chat roulette or whatever. Yeah, right. Cool. Uh,
1: someone asked. Um, oh, they said basically. Um, actually, I'll get the person's name. So this is Gaython on Twitter. Gaython said um, basically they work from home and they also. That's sort of their leisure space. So you know, it could be playing video games, watching TV. And so since they do both in the same space, when they're having sort of a bad day at work, they also don't want to have fun anymore because it's kind of like tainted, right? And so, uh, you know, one way to solve that is, you know, if you have a big enough place, then you could just subdivide, right? But assuming that that for folks who are, as Patrick said, you know, kind of in the apartment setting, um, you know, and they can only have one place, to do work and to have fun. Um, you know, what are some tips we
2: could give them to uh, make that a little easier? So I worked with somebody before who like went for a walk like before they started their day, and then after, like they literally commuted like back to their house. Um, oh, that's <laughs> so, a good
1: idea. I love so that like idea.
2: Maybe it can mentally, uh, you know, like change the scenery and and have you reset. Um, yeah, you got to find some way to kind of like yeah, to, to keep things like to block things out, I guess, but that's yeah, the best actually, one
1: ever. Yeah. Just bootstrapping off that. Um, I, when I have one-on-one meetings,
2: I'll actually take a lot of those. Uh,
1: uh, I'll actually walk for a lot of those. So if I'm having a one-on-one meeting, that's pretty casual with somebody that I meet with every week, uh, where I don't really need to expect them any, take a lot of notes or something. Um, you know, I'll keep my phone in my pocket. I'll have the headphones on and I'll just go for a walk around the neighborhood and, uh, after a few weeks of that, I start just disliking all of my neighbors. (laughs) No, but I think anytime you can get some exercise and and kind of enjoy nature and stuff, you know, I think that that is one really good way to to sort of um, recreate that. Because, I mean, when I did have these same meetings in person, that is what we did. We would go for a walk, um, sometimes even, you know, walk outside for a bit. And so um, now it's even easier to do stuff like that.
0: I I don't – this is not my situation, so uh, just making up ideas. But I I wonder, too, if you took it extreme. So not only if you sort of walked to your house to start your work and then walked at the end of the day, but you could kind of go half a step further and get those – they have those hue light bulbs, you know, that change color temperature. So, like, I noticed – I have my window open at my house. So my room is lit sort of naturally. But when I'm at work, it's like I can't even see a window. Like, it's just all harsh artificial lighting. And that sounds kind of goofy. But if you even, like, changed more of your space to, like, change scenes. And if you had, like, a very, you know, cool blue while you were working. And then changed it to a warmer blue sort of at the end of the day. I mean, I I don't know. I've not tried that. But it's just sort of adding to the... You may be in the same space. But if you move your desk a foot to the right and change the color. And you, I mean, you can kind of convince yourself that, oh yeah, no, this is completely different. Uh, and I think- Little Yeah, tricks I mean, it's like
1: psychological. That. It's like deep psychological. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, these, yeah, totally works. I think you just caused Amazon to run out of stock
2: of Hue light bulbs. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a great idea. Yeah, when I, when I first worked at home in, in my apartment and I had like a, a computer- and a desk that I that I used for, like, casual stuff like gaming or whatever. And I got an identical desk, and I put them, like, on opposite walls. Um, and I just, like, I, I didn't have this exact same problem. But I knew, like, if I was facing one way, that was, like, work. And if I was facing the other way, it was... Uh, I mean, I don't... I Now I don't do anything that severe. But I guess you got to find how to separate things yourself. Yeah, totally makes sense.
1: Yeah, I think, um, um, you know, one thing that's been really challenging is... is you know, and and uh, actually, yeah, it'd be great to get your take on this, Adam. So, you know, for myself and probably Patrick, like you know, we were basically forced to work from home because of COVID. And so what that meant is, you know, day one of working from home was also day one of schools shutting down, daycare <laughs> shutting down, you know, and all of our uh, uh, kids like being in our responsibility. And so it's just like an enormous shock. And so I honestly I don't I don't know about Patrick, but I don't really you know, I don't count the Wednesday thing that I mentioned earlier because it's one day a week. So you kind of plan everything else around it. But I honestly don't really know what it's like to work from home full time without like all of these other, you know, externalities. Right. And so one way that maybe we could sort of like reverse engineer this is is for you to talk a little bit about, you know, what was it like pre versus post COVID? Uh, because you've been working from home the whole time.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm trying to think. So I've found like I could tell you like just at a at a at a gut like psychological level that like I feel more like closer to burnout lately with the whole COVID situation even though like not a lot of my work life has changed, right? Like I I worked here where you see me now um, you know, a year ago and I still do now, but but uh now I do feel a bit boxed in. Um, you know, like so I think you know, it's because you can't. You it's not just that I'm here for work. It's that I'm here for everything, right? And maybe that that goes to that person's uh, question about about kind of feeling kind of stuck in their bad day. Um, so I think that these circumstances are not the ideal uh, work from home circumstances. Um, I I don't have any like I don't have any specifics though. Yeah, I mean, one thing I I noticed as
1: well is is um and we talked about this in the past episode with Max is um. I feel this like it's very kind of um, um, like this bipolar, like this up, like very much like ups and downs. And I think it's related to the fact that, um, and this gets to what the person was asking too. And the question is that you're in the same room for kind of everything, and so um, it just tends to. And you're, you, yeah, I think getting to what you were saying too, Adam. Is like I feel like I'm kind of always plugged in because I'm always, you know, ten feet away from work. And so if someone sends me a work email, I'm just much more likely to reply at the dinner table. Versus before, you know, there's a there's kind of that that mental barrier, and um, um, and now I think with the COVID situation, you know, the reality is like, you know, I at least personally like, and probably feel you might feel the same way, Patrick. Is like I can't give it a hundred percent when there are so many people, so much social infrastructure that I depend on that isn't there right now. And so when you combine um, not like a clear barrier between work and home with the fact that like, you know, you can't contribute as much as you did uh, when everything else was open. I think it gives you kind of this ups and downs where you feel like, oh, I'm not doing enough, I'm not doing enough. And then after you work for a day, you feel really accomplished. And then it kind of goes back. You know? Yeah,
2: I like so on, on my team, like we were all kind of distributed, but, but some people uh, did work in an office, but you know, many people didn't like before COVID. Now everybody's um, at home. The the people who have had the most challenge would be the people who have kids who are now home all the time. Like, you know, they, um, you know, like maybe they worked from home before, but but they had daycare and now they have their kid there. Um, it seems like everybody's adapted, um, but yeah, maybe it's just slowly wearing them down. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. somebody, somebody told me that they had gotten these like children's um, like sand timers like three different ones, like one that was like an hour and one that was 30 minutes, one that was 15 minutes. And then when they're in a meeting, they like put it on their desk and turn it. And then they, they taught their kid that like, you know, when it runs out of sand, that's when you can talk uh, oh, to me. Nice. So, I mean, I guess there's a certain amount of training that people are doing about about how, how working from home works. Um, I think even if you didn't have these current circumstances and you worked from home, um, you know, and, it, and it's summertime and, and your kids are around, like there is a certain type of work that needs to be done probably to establish barriers like you know right now i'm busy and and things yeah. like that I, I don't have any i don't have any children i just have cats and i can just close the door so <laughs> <laughs> oh patrick you went on mute oh can you hear me oh, oh okay. now we can hear you
0: yeah i was like uh can you just not shut the door no i'm just kidding don't yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah we got i got two banging at the door right now but it's totally fine <laughs>
0: yeah i mean i think i think that's right i i guess that goes to You know, everyone tries to spiral in projecting what the future will look like, but I think people taking what it's like right now or in the summertime versus the fall and projecting it out isn't necessarily the right model because having your kids at home or, I mean, it's even worse than that, right? During the school year, which which was the case with us, is like, not only were the kids home, but they needed to do their school. And it's like, yeah, wait, wait a minute, like, I'm supposed to be doing your school and my work. And thankfully, you know, like, I think I'm very lucky and privileged and probably... Um, might apply to you guys as well. But like my work is very understanding and just saying like, hey, like we know this is a thing, like we we're lowering sort of expectations a little, like, you know, try the best you can, basically. Um, And, you know, I I feel like I was still able to do and and treat that responsibly. But yeah, I mean, I think people taking learnings from now and projecting them forward is not, we're not able to sort of make it as sustainable as you might otherwise if there wasn't a global pandemic, you know, and it's, it's more so even than that, like people's vacations got canceled, people's spring breaks got canceled, summer hasn't been canceled, but (laughs) normally people would be looking forward to traveling and planning that traveling and family coming to visit. And like, none of that is going on, or a lot less of it is going on. And so I think, The burnout thing, I think, is super risky for people like I think you have to make sure to monitor yourself, which I think people are of differing degrees of ability to tell like how their personal state is and just being introspective about that. Um, But I mean, I think it's very probable that if you like I mean, this is not going to be fixed by August, September, October. So you're going to talk about March to October. There's like seven months and if you've not gone on vacation or taken a staycation or done something, you normally would have taken a day, a couple of days, a week, a vacation. Oh, that vacation is so true. Time. Yeah, and I think people are gonna get a work fatigue and frustration and associate it to something that might be slightly misdirected.
1: Yeah, that is such a good point, right? Like, uh, I remember there was a time um, when um, there was sort of a crunch time at work, and I didn't, and we didn't plan a vacation. And, um, not really realizing that I was burnt out, um because i we had just had you know we just had kind of regular vacations at the time, my wife was actually working for a cruise line, and so they would uh, have deals for the employees at s- a certain cadence, and so we would always we always kind of just had basically the vacations planned for us. And so it wasn't kind of obvious that, like, oh, like I hadn't taken a vacation in in you know almost a year and and I'm totally burnt out um and so yeah i think it's such a good point like no one really wants to take a vacation during a pandemic because what do you do you just walk around your neighborhood or there's there's very few things that are open um but then on the flip side yeah a lot of people will probably get burnt
2: out and maybe not even know why yeah i think like yeah take a staycation right like take some time off and i don't know put your computers in a somewhere else and and read a book or something and and just like get out of the house every day um if you if you can um yeah like I, there's a book about about working remotely from d h uh, h the rails uh, guy. and uh, I remember like one I remember very little of the book except that he said that uh, like you should judge yourself on whether like it seemed like you put in a good day of work, like that you shouldn't really keep track of like how much hours you did or or this or that. you like you know if if you have experience like in the world and and you know like, hey, you know, I solved some things today. This was a good day's work. Like that's good enough. Like don't be beat yourself up. Maybe you need to even turn that down even more. Right. Like if you have kids at home or other constraints, like maybe, you know, if if you got close to a good day's work, like pat yourself on the back, don't beat yourself up and be hard on yourself.
1: Yeah, totally makes sense. Um, someone asked, and I think we covered this, but, but, uh, um, Rubik's shoe which i don't know if that's intentionally a pun on rubik's cube or if that's just you know the first thing that came to mind but either way that's an awesome name Rubik's shoe basically asking um you know what prevents our employers from uh you know what prevents wages from from you know uh a race to the bottom right uh, and i think you know we covered that um you know i do think that there will probably be some kind of wage depression um but again like uh a lot of jobs are really niche and this actually gets to a another kind of semi rant, which is, which is everyone is, is software engineer, but there's so many disciplines in there. And so so many different specialities. Um, you know, like uh, we talked to Guillermo Ranch, right. And he was talking about, um, about, um, uh, what was it called? Next.js, I think, but basically it was a framework built on top of react and, um, yeah, i think I'm pretty sure it's Next.js. You could fact check me on that. But, um, you know, and, and and just extraordinary levels of depth and, and understanding and, and knowing the history and why things work the way they did and what that genesis is like. Um, so, so, you know, I think whether you're doing front end, whether you're doing app development, back end development, whether you're doing AI stuff, whether you're doing embedded, you're always falling into some type of craft that you're becoming an expert in. And so yeah I don't really expect um this sort of like uh, wage depression to be as severe as people are are saying I think that it'll be a gradual thing I think that you know yeah there I think for a lot of people the cost of living will go down significantly and so that will help um and I look at it in a positive way like I think we could sort of like energize um you know people all over the world uh you know where where there's a lot of folks who are um um who are anchored to a place, you know, either because you know their family is there. Um, there's so many different reasons, right? And so we can engage, you know, all of these folks. And so I think that there's there's a lot of potential there.
2: Yeah, and I expect I don't know what you guys you guys probably have a a, a better more accurate take on it, but I expect some places that are embracing uh, the remote workforce right now will fail at it. Like I think it's not a given that it's going to work out for every place um i think it's probably harder than it's yep yep so what do you think is going to cause people to fail um so if if things open back up and we allow people to work wherever but you know everybody important is in this building um in this particular place I'm not really sure like that that that's going to be successful um i think there's a failure mode for like remote where like you have a team except one guy, he's somewhere else. Um, and then like, he's not really like a true like member of the team to a certain extent out of nobody's fault, but just, um, you know, so I, I think um, like, it's really just a culture change. I think, um, you know, that like if, if the, if everybody in the company is working distributed and kind of communicating in ways that are async and you don't have to be right there um, I think it can really work great. But if you're kind of stuck with your, you know, traditional structures and everybody's in a certain place, um, it's not really gonna be that successful.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm wondering if like software, you know, development communication is an area of opportunity. Like, uh, like imagine like a software contract type of thing, saying, "Look, I'm going to build this kind of system." Um, I mean, I guess you could call that documentation or documenting <laughs> before you write the code, right? But but maybe like you know we somehow make that more frictionless. Um, uh, I mean I'll, I'll, I'm guilty of it. I mean I'm definitely documenting as I'm writing the code. Um, but but I think if you're going to have a system like this where you're going to say where you're going to build something and someone else is going to use it, you know unless you, you can't you can't just move sequentially. You have to be able to work in parallel. And so. Um, you know, right now, it's mostly just Google Docs. So we'll write a Google Doc just with some ideas. We'll send it out. People will give us feedback. But maybe something more formal where you could, um, I guess, if you're just talking about C++, you, know, you could write the header files and uh, doxygen them. And then uh, uh, and then people will kind of know what to expect. Uh, but just some way for engineers to communicate like more fluidly. Because I think that is the number one criticism of remote work is, People say, "Look, I have this backend. I have this app. I'm making, you know, the next TikTok, and so it needs to be out tomorrow because TikTok was just banned in India <laughs> yesterday, and so my app needs to come out tomorrow. And so, you know, it only works if the whole team is right there, and uh, the the the
2: app developer can look over the backend developer's shoulder and see the function call, right? I think like these are just these are just good engineering practices that might get pushed by by um, people being more distributed, right? Like oftentimes, like all that matters about your design is like the API, like the surface it presents. I mean, maybe that's an extreme take, right? But thinking yeah. about those APIs and agreeing on them, like if you got, if two teams have to communicate about something, like let's let's agree on what this API is. And um, like, I don't really care about the rest. Um, So if it's teams, I think, yeah, just be explicit about your APIs. Like you said, header files or, whatever, like we've had success with like GraphQL because GraphQL has like a a schema. Um, Mm -hmm. So you're kind of communicating like, hey, everything looks like this and it's a bit flexible so they can kind of make some different requests. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Yeah,
1: I think you're right. I think it will force engineers to do a good job. I mean, which is, you know, not a bad thing. Uh, I know that a lot of our code is uh, just in the company. A lot of our code is not documented very well. And I think it's almost perfectly correlated between things which were done quickly by teams that all sat next to each other and things that are not documented well, right? Because you just can't afford to do that if, if you're distributed. Um, so you're even in cases where before we were really had remote work, uh, you know, we still obviously had multiple offices. And so things that were done jointly across multiple offices just tended to be better quality, but also slower. And so, you know, maybe this this idea that it's almost like the 10x engineer myth, like maybe now we have the project done in a week myth, where the downsides of that, you know, now we just added another downside, which is that it doesn't support remote work, right? But the downsides of that are so extreme that, you know, we'll have to just accept that, you know, let's just make this two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, and actually have good quality on version one.
2: yeah. I feel like within a team, like you, you should be able to talk it out, like even if you're if you're remote. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, like like the place that I've seen um, people working remotely fail is like, yeah, if somebody just goes off and like build something and then they're like, here it is. Um, and then other people are like, that's not my expectations. I mean, that's probably more likely to happen with working remotely, but it doesn't have to. Right. Like you can just talk things out. It um, doesn't have to be extensive documentation like I've like sometimes before building something just in the Slack channel been like, OK, so I have this ticket to do this thing. Here's what I'm thinking. And then people are, you know, people will provide me feedback. And like I learned this because of the reverse scenario where like I put up a PR and then people like it just gets torn to shreds. Right. So I'm like, OK, before I start building this, let's talk about the approach. Um, yep. Yeah. So, I mean, people can still talk even if we're not all in the same room. Yeah, yeah, totally
1: true. Yeah, I mean, I think um, you know, if you look at organizations that do this well, or, or at least maybe organizations that do this at all, I think sales is consistently you know, almost every medium to large size company has a distributed sales team. And um, you know, I think that that there's there's huge advantages to that. Um, you know, I think that um you know, depending on the product, but almost every product, you know, even from an engineering standpoint could benefit from, you know, a hyper local um, view or lens through which to look at that product. Similar to how, you know, the sales team in Dubai and the sales team in Arkansas probably don't operate exactly the same way. And so there's a robustness and a health that's a, that makes the system more healthy, right? Um, so I think, you know, from an engineering standpoint, some type of franchise type model could be really powerful. But um, actually, you know, to Patrick, a place we used to work a long time ago, I don't know if, if, if your team had this, but we actually had some QA folks who were in another part of the US and they would basically run our unit tests, like do code coverage, look for kind of problems, like errors in, in, in the development, but actually they were totally disconnected from the core engineering team. So so basically we would get random emails from these folks saying, "Hey, you know, we found some issue or hey, you might want to put some more tests here." But they were kind of like this separate, you know, disjoint org. And I thought and and, and in hindsight this kind of like a powerful model because it's it's
0: totally scalable.
1: I don't know if did you have that on any of the teams you were on or no?
0: No, I didn't didn't have that. But I yeah, I can see how you're saying it's powerful, but I mean, it does increase overhead. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's a give and take between separating yep. parts of your team and gaining an advantage of sort of modularity in a defined interface um, and then gaining the bonus of like more rapid iteration between two teams that don't have a hard boundary like that. And I think that's just like a classic uh, problem that people have to kind of move back and forth on. Yeah, yeah, it makes
1: sense.
2: Yeah, it sounds like my initial thoughts is it sounds... I would want the people, like, closer to me, right? Like, I would want them working more closely than being totally separated. Um, but I think it's totally possible, like, I don't know. I think you can still have tight, small teams, uh, you know, when you're working remote. I think it's doable. I think it's yeah, the, inter, the inter-team stuff, I think, might be more complex.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, yeah, I think you're totally right. I think it's it's a little, it's, it's kind of a weird way to sort of divide up the work. Um, like, say, okay, you're responsible for tests you're responsible for new developments kind of bonkers um but yeah i guess i guess how do you, the questions are like like yeah, how do we reduce the friction um between teams especially across time zones so if you have let's say the database layer being developed in in uh, the east coast or even in london or something and then the application layer being developed you know, on the west coast um i think that's where things become really difficult
2: yeah. So like, I think that time zones are different than working remotely. And I think they're that maybe they're like the advanced, they're like the advanced skill, right? Like just, yeah, if you're going to have a team and you're going to be all over the place, like keeping in a couple time zones, right? Like, uh, I mean, somebody said like, have at least four hours of overlap, but, but maybe have even more than that, right? Um, and there used to be like this model, I haven't heard about it in years, but, you know, people used to talk about like, this, like follow the globe software development model where like somebody would work on something and then they'd hand it off to somebody like eight hours away who'd like work on it and then and, like i cannot foresee how that would actually work right like just yep. just have a team and just pretend even though you're all in each other's homes that you work together you know closely and talk on slack and get on video and um that, that's my advice yep yep
1: yeah we have a team in in new york that we work with very closely and there have been times when, when uh, over the past few years, when, when you know, it's just like uh, it's, it needs rapid iteration, yeah. and and it just feels like nothing is getting done because we'll we'll suggest something uh, a day later, it'll come back to us in a different format, and then we just play this really long like like mail in chess or something, right? And so finally, you know, we just flew over there and spent a couple of weeks there and hashed it out. And so, yeah, I think maybe another piece of advice is if you're, well, under normal circumstances, non-COVID, if you're if you're going to be working remote, you could, you should kind of expect, or maybe you should um, um, not expect, but it's the other way around, like you should encourage uh, yourself to actually fly around and visit some people in real life. I mean, I think there's times when that is the answer. And so um, um, yeah, I think that's, you know, beyond just the, the social part and doing the quarterly or annually get together um you know you should expect that like uh when you see this sort of trend of you know this sort of like impersonal like oh i'll get back to you tomorrow and then you know you should ping-ponging like this Did you say okay i'm gonna fly over there and let's like sit together for a week and um um you know and hopefully the place you're flying to has an office or there's some place you could both meet or, or something like that you're not flying to the other person's home with your luggage but uh um, yeah, I think that part is really important.
2: Yeah, the the place where I've seen things or a, a, a way that I've seen things go badly is, yeah, with these long iteration loops. And like, you know, like somebody who's like, you know, I'm working on two separate things, because like, I put together work on the one, and then I have to get this other team to review it. Um, and then while I'm waiting two days for that, I work on this other thing. And then, and then like weeks go by where this person's just like slowly pushing forward two things, and it's just like, uh, you know, just talk to the people. Like, yeah, sometimes you you can't wait. Um, yeah, I don't know. If you if you have yep. to do a whole bunch of work in parallel to cover like really large lags, like you're you're probably just covering up a huge problem.
1: Yep, yep. And you get a kind of feel for like the cadence for something. You know, like uh, you get a feel for like how um, the excitement curve. I guess of whatever it is you're working on, and so if if you're working on something that uh, you know that that you know you feel like you need to jump on it quickly, then um, then yeah, that's another reason to to, to just get to just let the folks know and say, look, like well, let's set up a uh, you know video chat, or let's set up a work chat, or something where we have like more immediate, more loud. Uh, loud is in more notifications and all of that, like more loud yeah. communication, so that we can just get this hashed out. Um, and then other things that are, you know, maybe migrating the database. That's something that um, is 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 not doesn't require such a tight cadence, and so you could afford to have the day back and forth communication. So, so Adam, we'll we'll kind of wrap it up with uh, what do you think will be the biggest change in work from home? Like if you were to look back five years from now. And say, assuming you're still working from home for five, for the next five years,
2: you know what do you think would have changed the most? That's a good question. So when I first, so when I very first started working from home, like probably for the first couple of months, we we did like our daily stand up on a conference call, like I phoned into it. Um, and now, yeah. obviously, everybody's, and then quickly moved to Skype and so on. Um, but so I think like with more and more people doing it, like whatever communication mediums are probably going to get richer. So I don't know what's beyond like our current video, maybe just lower latency or, or easy. I, I don't really know, but I feel like communications is is the hard part of of working uh, distributed. So something to do with communication. Yeah, that makes sense. Patrick, what about you? Predictions
1: for the work from home future, the work from the future home, WFFH.
0: I, I feel like we've notoriously been uh, not great at predicting the future on this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, look um, at all
1: the Bitcoin we didn't buy.
0: <laughs> and Bigelow Spacecraft. Oh, man, I still remember that. The <laughs> yeah. Inflatable hotel in this space. Um, yeah. Let's not talk about them. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think the normalization of work from home is is sort of a given. I think we've been talking mostly about software engineering, but... I mean, I think a lot of people are going to realize that a lot of work can be done from home. And if it means getting smaller offices for some types of businesses, I think that's going to be a pretty big win um, if that cost of capital, wherever they are, is, is pretty expensive. The fact that we have to develop these tools and experiences now is going to have a trickle down effect to a lot of other more niche businesses that uh, can take advantage of it. So I think that's an interesting trend to watch, like. you know, just even thinking, I don't, I'm trying to think of like a crazy example, but like management at Walmart, you know, they, they, they would not necessarily have been able to do remote work before, but now like maybe they can, you know, video conference into multiple stores, TV panels and, you know, sort of rally the troops beforehand because this video conferencing stuff has been become cheap and and better. So I think having video conferencing pop up in more places like that would be interesting. I also think there's going to be interesting changes in when people go to a doctor's office or hospital um, and getting triaging. I think that's another outcome of this, but not necessarily exactly related to what, to what you're saying. Um, and I think the final trend, I guess, would be the desire of people to say, I have to have a dedicated office space where I live. So, somewhere where I can put a desk and do this sometimes, I think will become a factor in where people choose to live.
1: What do you think about WeWork? Do you think that WeWork will take over in the sense that that you know everyone right now who's working from home, you know, could go to some local place? Like kind of like an Amazon locker, but for your office desk, right? Like you would just go to uh, some place close to you, but you'd still be working for a company that's far away.
0: I mean, WeWork specifically has a whole bunch of problems with it, I guess. But I, <laughs> yeah, I yeah, we like, work, uh,
1: Yeah, let's. Oh my gosh, WeWork's a disaster. <laughs> but just the idea that like uh, there's just a desk you can rent, basically. I think that I would make sense the
0: because there's it's like the real estate. Capital model for it to work. But yeah, I mean, I think the fact of having some place you could go, like a library, but for uh, doing video conferencing and a little bit of office work, uh, I, I think there's a lot of potential there.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, it'd be kind of interesting. I mean, it would separate your social click from your work click. Like you would, you would go to the WeWork, and you and the buddies who work at all your competitors would play ping pong together in the office breaks, right? Um, but uh, yeah, I think my my thing is I feel like uh, everything will become collaborative. You know, like like look at the VS Code. The, have you seen the live code in VS Code? It's pretty oh, amazing. Yeah. It's but awesome. It's, uh, yeah, but I think if correct me if I'm wrong, Adam, but I think it's a broadcast model. So I don't think you know other people can edit your code um, when you when you invite them. It's just they can just see what you're doing. And so I think you know, the next step is where they could just write in your editor. And then you could just extrapolate that to everything. Like maybe Excel has a button. And when you press it, your coworker jumps into your spreadsheet and you're talking and he can also just add equations to it, right? And so you can imagine every app, every enterprise
2: app being like that. So VS Code is crazy good. Uh, Like, so you can type in it. You can both type in it. You can be in separate windows. Um, Really? Okay. You can share your terminal so that the terminal window, like in VS Code, they can type in it. And, like, if you launch, like, a local host or something on port something something, you can, like, hit a button and it'll port forward it to them. So, like, if you're doing web de- like web development, you can load their local like uh, website into your browser wow, remotely. Wow, so cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, so I, I imagine just, like, modern enterprise apps being like that. I mean, especially Excel, which is probably the most popular enterprise app, other than email, I guess, but... Um, yeah, that'll be my prediction. Well, so Adam, why don't you tell us a little bit, uh, you know, we've talked so much about work from home. I think we've covered just about everything. Let me just check the chat now that I'm thinking about it to make sure we covered. It looks like we got everyone's questions. And yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about co-recursive? So co-recursive has, you said uh, you've kind of updated the
2: format a bit. And so what
1: kind of inspired that and what does it look like now?
2: yeah, so yeah, co-recursive is my podcast is kind of uh, like a an interview format. um so the the thing that i've that I've uh, changed is I've tried to um I'm trying to kind of get people's stories, almost like like case studies of like of building things, of like doing software development and kind of uh, present it in like a format that that's interesting to listen to. So um, you know, like I, I had a guy, Sean Allen, he came on and he explained how, like he, had to build this uh, like high performance system where like, you know, every request had to be like within microseconds and like what kind of technology choices that kind of drove, um, you know, like tried this, that wouldn't work. Couldn't use JVM because the GC pause, you know, can't keep it within a microsecond. Um, yeah, I had like a, a Twitter engineer um, explaining how, you know, some of the big data problems that they had and then how he found some way to use like ideas from abstract algebra. To actually solve kind of like real-time data processing, Um, and so I just released one today um, with Jim Blandy, who created Subversion, about like um, how he thought source control was broken, you know, back in 1993, and decided to build something better. So yeah, that's the that's kind of my format change is to kind of embrace just like I guess it's kind of the stories you might tell around around the lunchroom, but I guess you know with everybody being remote. Uh, maybe you don't hear these stories so I'm trying to find you know people who built interesting things solved hard problems uh, and kind of have them tell their story so That's I awesome. guess like yeah if somebody's listening and they have like a super interesting story of of solving like a, a you know a really hard problem or you know building something and then it it turns out that there was a much easier solution um, you know reach out to me uh, maybe we could do have a show about you your problem
1: Cool. What was the
2: most exciting
1: episode so far since you've changed the format? Oh, what's? <laughs> I mean, they're all exciting to
2: me. Um, yeah, yeah. But you have to pick a favorite. I'm kind of putting you on the spot. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. So the, the Sean Allen one that, that I was just describing, I, I thought was pretty interesting. So, yeah, he, you know, he he worked on um, uh, I think it's Apache Storm, which was like a real time data processing thing. Oh, yeah. And then basically like some Wall Street types approached him and said like, okay, we need something like that. But like, this is high performance or high frequency trading, right? So we're like, we're in the microseconds. Yeah. Um, And then so he kind of had to, uh, he kind of takes us through like the tech choices that he had to make, right? Like, should I use C++? Should I use, I can't use this, I can't use that. And kind of how he got. So I think he ended up with a solution where, you know, they're crunching numbers. Like I think he said like 80,000 calculations a second. And answering like hundreds of thousands of requests um, that are all under a microsecond. But but how he got there is like wow, it's like super unusual. I guess uh, his path.
1: Wow, it's totally wild. Yeah, the uh, um, the subversion one you know, really resonated. We've we've talked to a lot of programming language inventors, and one of the things that I noticed is, um, you know, it, for many of us, like everyone, you know, has everyone who's worked in a language for a while sees some flaw. or something yeah. they don't like, right? Um, but most of us just deal with it, right? And even, you know, there there might be cases where you have sort of analysis paralysis where you don't know what language to write in. And, and over time, you know, I think, at least myself, like I've gotten more uh, ambivalent to that and more likely to just pick something and start working. Um, but I think, you know, to invent a programming language, you have to have the opposite mindset. Like you have to go into it saying, you know, Python has this feature, I can't stand it, you know, um, 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 it's, it's driving me crazy. I can't sleep at night. And so I'm going to spend 5000 hours writing a new language and popularizing <laughs> it to the whole world, uh, you know, because of that. Right. And so it tends to attract like a certain type of person that has just incredible like depth and, and just amazing stories and uh, just like a, a very sort of like hard nosed attitude. To uh, to programming languages and I find those people like super fascinating to to talk to.
2: Yeah, Jim's story. Like, I'll give you just a tidbit. So, so Jim, he was so like CVS was the the main source control yep. uh, before Subversion, um, and he worked at this place. They had a giant CVS repository, and um, like if you want to create a branch in CVS, like it actually has to like make changes to every file to like create the branch. Yeah. CVS has no transactions, so like if somebody does a commit at the same time like it's kind of like undefined what's going to happen and and the branch like it, like he was saying it could take like 45 minutes could take 2 hours to make the branch cuz it has to go through like hundreds of thousands of files yeah. um so he he told the people there he's like like branching should be free like nothing's actually changing right like if you imagine this as a database like all we're doing is like making a pointer that says like this version here has this name and they were like yeah Sure, buddy. Like it's taken us hours. You say it should be free. Like, and and they didn't believe him. But but so he uh he went off and solved that problem. I mean, I think it took him years. But
1: yeah, that's amazing. Very cool. All right. So yeah, um, co recursive. So people can can Google it. We'll also put a in the a link to it in the show notes. So people can check it out. And I'm assuming it's also on all the podcast and like Stitcher and Google uh, podcasts and all of those good good places.
2: Yeah, search for uh, co-recursive, or if that's hard to spell, uh, you can just put like Adam Gordon Bell. That's my name. It should turn up the podcast as well. Cool, awesome. Are you? Have you tried
1: uh, um, Spotify? Are you on Spotify?
2: I think so. I don't. Yeah. I assume, but I'm not sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we got all of a sudden we got a lot of requests to be on Spotify, and so we set it up r- relatively recently, and um, it's actually a pretty awesome experience. So yeah, I think anytime we interview a fellow podcaster. We always tell them to check it out. But, um, you know, they recently signed some exclusive deals with some, you know, really, really big, big names in podcasts like Joe Rogan, I think, and, and someone else has an exclusive deal. And actually I found the interface and the analytics and all of that pretty cool. So I'll
2: have to check it out. Yeah.
1: Cool. All right. Um, so, you know, everyone, thanks uh, for kind of checking it out for supporting us on Patreon and all of that. Adam, thank you so much for being on the show um, you have a wealth of information on, on work from home and, um, you know, obviously super relevant to everybody. And I think it's going to continue to be relevant for most of us for a really long time. So so I think this this this, this, this uh, particular episode will have uh, legs to it. I think it'll be relevant for many, many years. So unlike Rust, which uh, we, we did a show on Rust, like zero point one and we're still getting emails about how none of it is relevant anymore and how we'll have to redo that but i think work from home is something that will continue to resonate with people and so thanks again for for being on the show thank you the intro music is axo by binar pilot programming throwdown is distributed under a creative commons attribution share alike 2.0 license you're free to share copy distribute transmit the work to remix adapt the work But you must provide uh, attribution uh, to uh, Patrick and I and uh, share alike in kind.